Hello and welcome to this session in the Real Deals Private Debt, Mar Private Debt Market Conference. I'm Talia Masiri, editor at Real Deals, and in this session I'm joined by Jennifer Murray, head of financial sponsors at Shawbrook Bank, and Henry Sallett, managing partner at FPE Capital. So in this session we will discuss backing fast growth companies, the finance gap, AR, AR funding and cross origination. Um, but before we begin, I think Henry and Jennifer, if you wouldn't mind giving me um, a brief introduction about yourselves and your firm um, and how you sit, where you sit in the, in the debt landscape. Um, Jennifer, perhaps you could, you could start. Sure, so I'm Jen from Shawbrook. Um, Shawbrook is, is a bank, it's celebrating its uh, 10 year anniversary this year. So I'm afraid I think we're a bit long in the tooth to be classed as a, a challenger anymore. Um, but very much a specialist SME lender. Um, I've got a balance sheet of about 7 billion and have a range of offerings for small and medium-sized businesses from development finance, ABL and asset finance, uh, through to commercial loans for corporates. About, about 2 billion of the balance sheet is our structured finance business. Um, for about eight years now, we've, we've had a strong track record in wholesale lending, mm -hmm. uh, lending to specialist non-bank lenders. And it's only really in the last two years that we've launched a Unitrans product uh, designed to support private equity-backed buyouts, very much focused on the lower mid-market, so our sweet spot's really in the, the one to five million EBITDA range. Um, and we just closed our 10th deal last year. And around the same time, two years ago, we also launched a growth capital or, or venture debt product, for want of a better word, for fast-growth businesses, supporting those through to profitability. Um, and in that portfolio, we've got about uh, 15 clients. Uh, we've recently made a decision to bring both products, the Unitranch and the Growth Cap, under one banner, which is the mm -hmm. sponsors team, which I head up, um, really to give us a more consistent approach to, to both deal execution and the way we face off to our sponsor partners right across, right across the spectrum. And equally, you know, one of the reasons we're, we're quite interested in the topic here is we think it's quite an exciting opportunity to explore, explore the connection point between the two and look at how we can begin to support businesses right through the life cycle. Yeah, yeah, really interesting. Thanks, Jennifer. And I look forward to hearing a bit more about the, the products that you're offering. And it seems like your Shawbrook have now um, evolved to lend across the spectrum and, and where there may be some gaps as well will we'll be interesting to discuss those. Um, Okay, thanks. And Henry, um, if you could do the same and give a quick introduction to yourself and FPE Capital. Sure. Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, I'm Henry Sallett, um, founder and managing partner of FPE Capital. Uh, like Shawbrook, we've been around for about 10 years as well, uh, consistently investing in, in growth, um, uh, focused on the software and services sector. So we're looking for companies typically with quite a high degree of recurring revenues, uh, big markets to operate in and, and typically great operational gearing. So businesses that can grow fast without consuming lots of working capital. We invest at the post-venture stage. So uh, the companies that we're interested in have typically been through that kind of wall smashing first phase of, of growth and finding their first customers and, and getting their product propositions uh, right and have moved into profitability and are really looking for um, help to grow through the next stage. So we're quite often focused on um, bringing in um, sort of great talent into the businesses in the next phase, introducing systems and process, thinking about product propositions, maybe going into international markets and driving uh, driving revenue growth. So that's great, great. Yeah, thanks for having me. 
Great, great. Thanks, Henry. And I look forward to hearing more about how you're uh, taking those businesses on from, from kind of those initial early growth stages to, to making it a kind of a growth business, um, a fast growth business. And so, OK, so just before we begin, I'd just like to make a note to the audience. Um, so if we have any questions, please do send them through via the conversations bubble. Um, so it'll be a speech bubble icon on the left of your screen. Um, and we will do our best to address these either during the conversation or at the end. Um, but let's get straight into it. Um, so in this session, we'll be looking at kind of funding of fast growth businesses. Um, but first, I think it would be quite beneficial if you both could define what a fast growth business, business looks like to you and your firm. Um, Henry, would you like to go first? Yeah, sure. I mean, we're, as I mentioned before, I mean, we're looking for businesses with operational gearing in them. Okay. Uh, and typically a high level of recurring revenue. Um, and we're not looking for 100% growth a year. Uh, across the portfolio, we would uh, sort of expect sort of between 15 and 25% growth. And quite often when we when we invest in the companies, that growth has stalled for some reason mm. um, because the company's reached a stage where it, it just can't, it can't cope with that growth for whatever reason. And we're very focused on unlocking those blockers which may be financial blockers yeah. uh, but may, may also be around systems or process or people okay sure great and um jennifer again same question to you um similarly to uh, your comments henry i mean we we've always sort of viewed fast growth as around about 20 percent growth per annum I think what's been interesting over the course of the last 12 months <laughs> since lockdown is we've probably had to evolve our thinking on that a little, mm. um, you know, because fast growth companies tend to require onboarding of new customers. And we've seen a lot of UK corporates, i.e. the customers, putting off those buying decisions. So it's fair to say we, we've taken a slightly more cautious approach, but we've continued to be supportive. And indeed, we've seen a lot of the, you know, the, the growth capital clients actually show quite a bit of resilience and robustness through COVID. We tend to see a bit of a flattening off in the last 12 months um, and growth plans be delayed slightly, but we'd certainly not view the lack of 20% growth in the last 12 months as a reason not to do a deal. Yeah. Um, so I think where we're, where we're evolving our thinking to is, you know, can we see a roadmap to profitability in the next two to three years? is there enough of a growth trajectory to support that? But actually more importantly, um, where we've seen businesses you know, really prove their model and um, be resilient is where we've seen equity investors getting behind those businesses and supporting them. Yeah. And that has really you know, come out to play. So um, that's almost fundamentally more important than, than the numbers for us at the moment. And I think it's yeah. a story. Sure, really interesting. And Jennifer, would you say the the types of businesses that are in this category have changed? The types of businesses that are considered to be fast growth businesses, or have they just remained and maybe shone through a bit more um, as other sectors struggle? Well, certainly, when we look across the fifteen deals we've done, I think almost all of them are in some form, if not tech, yeah, uh, pure tech, are tech enabled. Um, you know, there's a slight question mark as to how distinct tech as a sector is anymore. It sort of permeates everything we do. Um, the businesses have always, or the portfolio has always been quite uh, weighted towards B2B rather than B2C. Mm. And 
we we have seen clusters emerging again particularly over the last uh, 12 months or so so we've seen quite a bit of activity in the compliance and, and regulatory space okay it's like Judel, side safe um businesses working hard to come up with automated solutions for customer onboarding kyc mm. um, we've seen quite a bit of property tech uh, interestingly and okay. particularly in recent months we've seen uh, businesses that offer sort of automated off-site monitoring or remote monitoring of infrastructure or, or plant and assets, which is mm -hmm. perhaps unsurprising in the in the move to remote. Um, so there has been a, you know, a slight shift and some trends emerging. I think what's, again, what's interesting is when you read that across to the, the buyout market, um, it's fair to say we're seeing more and more of the pipeline weighted towards tech or tech services. Mm. Um, two of the deals we completed through lockdown are firmly in the space. Uh, we did Bora with Palatine and Pentem with Graphite. Okay. We've seen those perform really strongly through lockdown and they've given us a lot of confidence in the sector. So I would expect looking forward, you know, we'll continue to see that shift, but it's one we're actually, you know, we're quite excited about it and we think there's an opportunity. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It seems as though tech was an already growing sector, but but the pandemic has certainly accelerated that and the the, the kind of successful deals and successful targets are really shining out in this environment. Um, and Henry, I know for FPE, kind of your main focus is around um, kind of tech and TMT space as well. Um, but has the clearly your your investment strategy in the sectors that you invest in hasn't changed, but has the the assistance or kind of the um, yeah, so the assistance and the management of these types of businesses changed for you? Are they are they asking for different things? Um, are their equity and, and debt demands changing? Um, what have you seen? Yeah, look, I think I mean, 2020 ways, in many ways was an extraordinary year. Uh, but for tech, for a lot of businesses in tech, it was a transformational year. So we saw when we went into the first lockdown in, in March, April last year, uh, there was a temporary hiatus. There were a lot of people looking at uh, how they could deliver services or product to their customers remotely. And most of those companies looking internationally as well, and they, their customers have been used to uh, sales and implementation staff flying in and, mm. and interacting physically with uh, with customers. Yeah. Um, and very quickly, uh, a lot of those things changed. So we saw kind of amazing innovation across the portfolio Mm -hmm. from the management teams uh, looking at ways in which they could deliver products differently uh, and and really by by early summer uh, most of those businesses were really beginning to motor again and in, uh, in fact in 2020 for our portfolio uh, we've had the best year we've ever had the portfolio is up about 50 percent uh, and all the companies within that are performing extremely well but that's mm -hmm. not to say that we've not had challenges uh, but they've tended not to be financing challenges. I mean, in contrast to 2008, certainly in technology, we've not seen any liquidity squeeze at all. We've seen the banks uh, and the funds behaving in a very responsible way. There's an availability of capital, interest rates are low. Uh, and I think the lenders are keen to put capital to work in businesses that they think are going to survive through uh, and, and thrive in, the, in this new environment where yeah. You know, a number of trends that technology investors such as ourselves have been looking for, those trends have accelerated. So I think they feel that the companies feel that you know now is the time to move. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It doesn't seem like there's a lack of um, capital in the market. 
um, as one of the, the speakers from another session earlier said, it feels more like a war than a recession. It's not kind of a, an economic issue in a sense in this market. It's more so you're protecting your assets and trying to evolve um, with, with the current times. Um, okay, and then just moving on to, to looking a bit more at this financing gap um, between these, these growth assets and the, the early venture um, side of the market. So Jennifer, how do you assess uh, financing financing options across the spectrum, um, and what can you go into a bit more detail about what Shawbrook offers? Uh, you mentioned a bit in your introduction earlier. Sure. Well, I'll probably pick up on the second point first. So um, we have for private equity um, buyouts in the lower mid market, we have a Unitranche product, mm -hmm. um, which starts with businesses really of a, a million minimum EBITDA, and as I mentioned last week, got sort of goes it to around around five. Mm. Um, and it's, I think what's really interesting, and again, you know, as we've developed the portfolio over the last few years, almost all of those are looking at some point within the first 12 to 18 months for refinancings, bolt-on acquisitions, follow-on capital to support yeah. growth. Um, so these aren't, you know, it's obviously a very dynamic market. And question mark, could we go in a little bit earlier? <laughs> Um, equally, uh, you look at the growth cap portfolio where we supported businesses through to break even. And yet at the point it breaks even, just when your risk profile improves, um, you know the team, you know the business, um, is, is the point at which we no longer have a, a product that fits technically. And it might even be below the radar for some sponsors at that point. Okay. And yet when we look at you know, the credit assessment and the way we look at the two types of businesses, um, there's a lot of read across. You know, first and foremost, we always start with a sponsor and the management team and the relationship and do we back the team. Secondly, and this is all very obvious stuff, you know, you, you get really get under the skin of the business model, um, yeah. makes it unique, what's its niche, what, what really differentiates it. Um, and then thirdly, and this is where they diverge slightly, you, you really look at the financials. So whereas with private equity buyouts, you'd really focus and hone in on the quality of earnings. Mm. Um, on the growth cap space, it's really all about quality of revenues and we're, we're more focused on the, the revenue line. But um, with so much commonality, I think it's, you know, it's not too much of a stretch to say, is there something we can do in that, in that gap? And we do get a lot of inquiries playing around that piece from 0 to 1 million EBITDA. Mm -hmm. That would um, both give us sort of, you know, longevity of the relationship and preserve preserve our customers through the life cycle, um, even if it looks like some sort of you know bridge product, but also enables those businesses to to benefit from a lower cost of funding to the point where they're ready perhaps for the, the next step or the VPs. Yeah. Sure, sure, really interesting. Thank you. Um, and Henry, on your side of things, what about the the financing options available to to your existing portfolio to new opportunities? Um, what, what are you seeing in the market and has this changed since the pandemic? Are there perhaps any new emerging strategies coming into play that you've considered or, or what are you seeing? Yeah, look, it's a really interesting question and, and, and it's comforting to hear some of the things that, that Jen's been saying. I mean, uh, we are, we're, we're obviously investing in growth companies and principally what we're trying to do is get availability of primary capital for the business to invest in infrastructure to enable growth. Yeah, uh, but we are investing in in companies that are typically profitable profitable at the point of investment. So, mm -hmm. for a bank, we're looking for flexibility to release as much free capital for the business to invest in that growth. So, so we might do that in a number of different ways. So, 
we're increasingly encouraging the bank to look for security in our recurring revenues, for example, and the robustness of the business, yeah. rather than in the more traditional, you know, straight cash flow lending that you might see in a traditional leveraged buyout. Sure. Uh, and we're trying to build a mix across the across the capital structure, um, including the bank, to provide free capital for uh, for the bank to invest, uh, for the for the business to invest. So that might well be by suppressing the EBITDA down mm -hmm. to a break-even level and using that surplus cash generated from the underlying profitability of the business to invest. It yeah. might be us putting primary capital in ourselves and it might be encouraging the bank to invest alongside us, uh, secured on, um, on on the recurring revenues to, to provide that primary capital. So, so we're really looking for flexibility and that flexibility can be around uh, maybe being slightly more flexible about repayments uh, horizons. So, how, how quickly we need to start repaying back the capital of, of the uh, of the loans, but also around um, you know, some of the covenants might be, you know, unusual for a traditional leveraged banker to see some of the uh, some mm -hmm. of the covenants that we might be operating against, which might be related to growth or percentage of recurring revenues rather than uh, free cash flow. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Really interesting. And I guess has this in turn then um impacted the way you assess investment opportunities and new opportunities in the market look i think the, the the fundamental characteristics that we would be looking for that would drive growth and equity value are broadly the same and i and i suspect that there are slightly nuanced differences between what we're looking for and, and what the bank's looking for and the banks are principally concerned about downside risk and getting their money back mm. uh, obviously concerned about that but we're also concerned about the operational leverage that if you get the growth it flows through to profitability and equity value yeah um, but where I, I suspect we're both looking for some of those things that Jen managed i mean obviously management teams available markets uh, and for us particularly this operational gearing such that you can grow the ebitda level at a higher percentage rate than the the revenue multiples because you've got high gross margins yeah 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 definitely and just slightly it seems like you're both on the same page but i'm gonna throw something in there jen in terms of um henry was saying the banks are a bit more concerned about the downside risk is this something you agree with are you kind of a lot more conscious when it comes to assessing opportunities i mean as a, a lifelong um mid-market leverage banker it's my it's my favorite thing <laughs> it's all, all i care about um no um jokers i mean it's interesting um and this is where i think i think there is there are lessons to be learned from the way people approach growth smaller businesses because i think if you come from you know um years spent doing sort of slightly larger mid-market deals it's all about the sensitivity scenario in a worst case scenario which costs can you switch off yeah um when we look at growth cap you know we look at sort of arr funding and it, it really sort of varies deal by deal mm -hmm. um i think to an extent um what we've seen over covid is that clients have pretty successfully managed their investment and in their cost base okay uh, so they've made use of furlough schemes future fund tax deferrals mm -hmm. rental agreements and and i think that's given us a huge amount of comfort in that space because when it comes to growth cap, you sort of have to trust management and the sponsor to invest in the right things to the right level. Um, we can't, it's, it's much more difficult to gauge what you need to invest in to drive that growth. And you take some comfort from the fact that if things go wrong, it's in good hands and they will switch a few things off or, or make adjustments. Mm. Um, 
so similarly, um, you know, ARR is a big focus for us in that space. And we're actually more focused on, A, the revenues. Mm -hmm. Now, what, again, what's, what's transpired over COVID, it's been a really interesting time where I think we've had some real challenges as lenders around how how recurring those revenues are. <laughs> um, you know, there's a, there are lots of flavors of ARR and there's a big difference between, a, you know, a, a business that has customer contracts on a rolling three month break clause, mm. potentially switch off, or a three year contract with 50%, you know, of, of, of revenues coming up front. Um, and that's where, again, I think we've really sort of started to, to delve into, okay, where is a lender what's important to us in terms of quality of revenues but equally rather than just taking a, a cold hard look at sort of costs and sensitivity again it all comes back to the sponsor so we look at you know providing debt tickets that are up to a 33 percent of what's been raised by investors we typically come in after series a um and that you know looking at how they've supported those businesses through the cycle um and and put in follow-on capital is fundamentally again far more important than running sort of random sensitivity scenarios for want of a better word. Yeah. So again, it's been a bit of a learning curve, frankly, for us <laughs> um, as, as a bank as well. And, and that's where it feels like, you know, could we be a little bit more creative mm. how we look at some of the some of these businesses, particularly um, the types of businesses that Henry lends to are yeah. sort of profitable, but perhaps at the, the smaller end and look at yeah. both topics. Really interesting. Yeah, I guess in times of crisis, we look to innovate and it seems you're kind of considering um, how else you'll be able to, to assist those types of businesses, as you said, that, that Henry and FPE cut back. Um, and on, on sticking with this ARR funding um, topic, Henry, how do you consider ARR funding and what do you have any hesitations around, around this style? Yeah, look, uh, we use it probably in half the companies across the portfolio. Okay. Uh, I think the, you know, I think Jen made some very good points there. I think the the risks that we're looking at on the downside uh, aren't necessarily covered because you've got recurring revenue. And I think you know there are a multitude of different ways people present recurring revenue, and really believing that that is recurring in nature rather than than perhaps transaction backed. And if the if the transactions drop, you're going to see a a recurrent drop in the recurring revenues, but also yeah. increasingly look down to the underlying customer base. So uh, I think, you know, businesses that have lots of recurring revenue from, for example, SMEs generally, mm -hmm. uh, we would consider to be higher risk than the enterprise risk. And then within that sector. So uh, obviously looking, the most attractive businesses are, you know, uh, recurring revenues coming from enterprise customers in the tech sector right now. Uh, and mm -hmm. then I guess you work your way down from that. Um, I mean, the other point I would I would make, which I think is a really encouraging thing for for UK PLC and for for those of us that are focused on growth, yeah. is that the banking sector seems to be sort of spreading its wings out in terms of where 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 debt financing can come from. So okay. I guess you know if we'd been having this conversation ten years ago, the majority of capacity for lending would come from the traditional high street banks. Mm. Uh, we've seen the uh, I know um, Jeff may not like the term challenger bank after ten years, but there is. <laughs> Definitely, I, I think clear water between the attitude of some of the lenders from the challenger banks to, again, the traditional the traditional lenders, and then and and, and people have been very familiar with this in the larger transactions, uh, the emergence of fund uh, of fund lenders, and again at the at the lower end, we've seen 
lots more funds emerging and they tend to have a slightly different perspective on uh on their capital maybe uh, you know so so without any amortization at all over the length of investments so your yeah. your ability to finance that uh and the covenants that they look at uh, might give you the flexibility that that that, that a bank may not Sure, really interesting point there, Henry. And would you say um, perhaps this growth, this expansion in uh, the challenger banks, the the new smaller types of um, lending funds that are available, has in turn led to kind of the growth in the in lower mid market private equity um, and given perhaps smaller funds the confidence to launch. Look, I think it all helps. I mean, um, you know, finance is the oil that makes the wheels go around. So the availability of cash, whether that be equity funding or or debt funding, is is a is an absolute prerequisite. Yeah. Uh, to to enable these companies to flourish as you know as they can. So uh, I think that you know, as I said earlier, the, the contrast with two thousand and eight, where we were all scrabbling around trying to find where the liquidity was. Yeah. I mean, that may come next year, you know, when the wider mm -hmm. economy perhaps has to face some of the challenges that have been cushioned by the following scheme and some of the tax deferrals. We may well get to that. But it feels at the moment that for uh, emerging, potentially high growth technology companies, there is there is capital around. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Great. Okay. Um, and then on to um, our penultimate point in terms of looking at cross origination. Um, so Jennifer at Shawbrook, you assist with cross origination of, of deals and investments um, when it comes to, for example, private equity clients looking for growth assets. Um, how do you assist there? So I think, um, I, I guess, firstly, most of the sponsors we deal with are pretty good at their own origination, <laughs> you know, building rapport with management teams and yeah. sourcing off market deals and the like. So I, I wouldn't want to overplay our hand here and say, you know, we're sort of helping them originate. However, um, it's been interesting again over the last sort of 12 to 18 months as we as we scaled up that we do get inbounds um, for from you know sponsor clients looking for the next opportunity and saying, well, you know, you're sure you, you must have some interesting stuff in the books. Mm. Um, and again, that's that's one of the reasons that we're looking to to bring growth. Well, we are bringing growth, growth capital into the tent. Really. Um, now, obviously, confidentiality is paramount. Um, um, we would always want our customers to be fully cited and uncomfortable with this. But it's part of our long game, to be quite honest, to start thinking about how we how we link the two up through the life cycle. And if, as part of that, we can start to think about connecting, you know, investors who are exiting smaller companies, and equally those that are buying into that space, that feels like a bit of value add, but. Yeah that would be a bit of a differentiator and it's something that could be quite an exciting space to play and again you know the reaction even when we sort of mooted that with a few of our growth cap clients has been um it's been really positive so it's a sort of uh watch this space print yeah yeah definitely and um in terms of the the types of businesses that you're connecting there um from the lower end to to moving on to to growth and buy, and buy out um is it all tech still? Are there any other emerging types of sectors or businesses that that you're that are coming to to light and are, are gaining more attention? Yeah, so I mean, again, there's sort of a a, a bit of a a challenge. What what is tech a discrete sector when you're looking at growth cap? And, mm -hmm. and almost every 
you know, every sector we play at, play in, pardon me, in the in the buyout market, you know, we've looked at, we did a, an ed tech business. Okay. Um, you you'd probably class that as education rather than tech, but it's so tech enabled. Mm. I, th I think the lines are increasingly blurred and, and every business obviously in these times is, is very focused on it. We are still seeing clusters of other types of sectors that have been quite resilient and performed well through COVID in the buyout space. I think of healthcare, for example, mm -hmm. a lot of public authority funded stuff, but it's, it's not unusual to delve into the growth capital pipeline and see those same sectors, yeah. <laughs> the tech product for those sectors mirrored mirrored in that pipeline as well so i think you know going forward i'd be we, we've also seen some of the larger equity houses or you know we've been very focused on two or three um sectors increasingly moving towards tech enabled or tech services or adjacent businesses so i look i i i think there is an opportunity um and uh, and that's where we'll, we're really sort of looking to the dots Sure, sure, great, thank you. Um, and Henry, when it comes to cross origination, um, do, do you this FPE, do P funds, um, and banks, would you say, do they a different approach when it comes to origination here? Um, and what's your method? How do you go about things? Look, I think the, the, the differences that we're looking for a slightly different animal, I guess. So, so yeah. nuanced differences, but origination is a uh, absolutely central and uh, incredibly important function that we run within the firm uh, and that has many tentacles so we do quite a lot of direct origination where we're reaching out to companies that we think are interesting in sectors that we think are interesting yeah. we have an active engagement with the plethora of corporate finance and intermediary businesses that are representing the sort of companies that we're interested in but the banks would fit into that as well so we keep up with I would say particularly in the regions we keep up with regional managers who we think are seeing interesting businesses uh and, and and from our point of view the earlier we can meet businesses the better because we mm -hmm. can have a relationship with the the management we can kind of get inside the tent rather than being outside the tent and, and learn about the business over a longer period of time rather than when they're particularly marketing to us uh we're very focused on uh businesses that deliver tech rather than consume tech okay. uh, i mean you've seen enormous growth in i mean people have kind of written off retail but i mean in in uh, online retail uh there's been phenomenal growth and and, and in in companies that support those you know companies like the hut i don't know what the valuation of the hut now seven and a half yeah. public company um you know that is obviously a, a phenomenally interesting company it may not fit into our uh, kind of, uh, it may not fit into exactly what we're looking for but i think there is growth beyond the provision of tax certainly yeah. I yeah, to be optimistic about it, actually. Definitely, definitely great. Okay, and then um, just to, to end the session on on looking forward um, and how we predict kind of the the lending space to to change and evolve. Um, Jennifer, perhaps you could start kind of how the dynamic in the lending space changed with the emergence of of debt funds at the smaller end of the market. How does that impact what you're doing as a bank? Um, and yeah, what what are your views on that? Well, if I were to characterize um, characterize what we do, I'd say it's always a little bit, it's always been a little bit off-piste. <laughs> um, you know, we're specialist SME because we tend to look at those those opportunities, I guess, that are a little bit below the radar of the classic clearers. They're a little bit too complex, a little bit small, a bit of a computer says no sector. Um, and 
you know, we when we entered the market two years ago, um, a I think we saw it as a as a good opportunity because it, it is or was a, li a bit less competed. Um, and um, number two, we also wanted to take the sort of best bits of what our competitors at the time were doing. Excuse me, sorry, I've got someone at the door. Brilliant timing. Um, so we wanted to take the the relationship element, you know, that part that the banks do really well. And indeed, as Henry, as you've just touched on some of the sort of, you know, keeping in touch with businesses, the regional footprint, but also splice it together with the best bits of what the funds do really well, which is speed of delivery, certainty, commerciality. And we, you know, we, we haven't got the answer yet. I don't think anyone does, um, but that's that's where we try to play and that's what we try to do. So I think we are seeing new competition. We are seeing a bit more competition. We're even seeing some of the banks, you know, HSBC investors setting up their own funds, um, but we're going to keep doing what we always do really. And I guess, you know, it's, it's a bit of a, forgive the analogy, but you know, when you're skiing off piece, the snow changes a lot and you just got to ski a bit better and, and try and hold your edge really. Yeah, yeah, nicely said, nicely put. <laughs> um, and, and Henry, what about for you in terms of, I think this year perhaps we're going to be seeing uh, government government fiscal measures slow, we're going to have the furlough schemes kind of slow and come to an end. Um, when it comes to managing your portfolio, do you think there will be an increase in demand for debt and lending or um, what, what do you predict? Well, I think there's been there's been a bifurcation in the economy. So I think there's there's two, I would say, two completely different angles on that. So I think there will be some distress. We haven't seen much actual distress yet, uh, and I suspect the banks will have to deal with uh, with some of that on the negative side. On the positive side, I think there are great areas of the economy that are growing, and I think there'll be availability to put capital uh, either as an equity investor or as a debt investor places as well so i think it's it's going to be quite a strange uh it's going to be quite a strange environment but yeah uh, but i'm optimistic that there's going to be lots of opportunity and i think that just to kind of return to the sort of the way the banks look at it i think um innovation tends to come from smaller organizations and mm. and you've seen uh the emergence of the debt funds the challenger banks and i think they're increasingly pushing uh, the traditional banks to yeah. put significant amounts of capital, perhaps in slightly more creative um, tranches for companies. Uh, and they are increasingly doing that, and I'm sure they'll continue to do that. Yeah. Uh, and indeed, the emergence of some peer-to-peer -peer lending platforms, which traditionally for businesses like us have been subscale, but but who knows where we'll be in, in two or three years' time. Yeah, yeah, definitely nicely put. And um, do you agree, Jen, in terms of the, the fact that there's been so much pressure perhaps on, on the traditional banks, on the larger banks, that it kind of then in turn creates a sort of, not a pressure, but a, a need for, for banks like Shawbrook, Shawbrook and others to, to innovate, to provide um, what, what the traditional banks perhaps can't at the moment? Uh, yes, I do. And I, I think, um, well, it's possibly a little, <laughs> so I can't, obviously can't really talk to the clearers, but um, I obviously worked worked in clearing banks for most of my career, so I have a pretty good understanding. And I, and that's, you know, I wouldn't have joined Shawbrook. I'm so sorry about this. Oh, no problem. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I cannot get rid of them. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, th I think there is, look, the, I think there is a, a real opportunity. Um, I think equally, you know, what, what has been proven through the last 12 months is that with the right backing, the right sponsors, the right support, 
these businesses are robust and resilient you know something that's hit the entire economy and it, i think where there's a good story actually spending we probably take more time than i used to when i was in the big banks to really into the skin of businesses and spend actual time with management time with the sponsor yeah and that's something i enjoy about working in the loman market mm -hmm. um, never more important than you know through covid um, yeah i think it is really really crucial yeah yeah definitely definitely okay perfect um well i think we should we should leave it on that high note um it seems all is going well across the board um so thank you both so much um for your time and for speaking on the panel today um and thank you all for listening brilliant thanks for having us thanks